All right, I also want to thank you for being here today. We are starting a new series for the entire month of November called Be Thankful. And I chose this series just for me. Uh, that's what it feels like. It's like this particular Sunday is the title is Be Optimistic. And anytime you bring a message like this, I'm generally, I mean, generally speaking, a really optimistic person. But this week I was just boom, I like tripped over the word and it was not optimistic and really struggled for a while. So this message is just for me. If you want to listen in, I invite you to join us today. And so it's been a helpful journey for me, kind of working through the process when I tripped into negativity. So here's the focus for today. We need to step off the negativity train. When I first uh, wrote that out and my staff was working together on the outline, different things, I said, that sounds like painful, like stepping off a train. I said, well, hopefully it won't be painful. It'll actually be helpful. I want to start this way. How many of you remember when you were kids, that little story, the engine that could? You know, what, what did he say? I what? I think I can. I think I can. I'm going to ruin that story for you. <laughs> and you're going to help me. And here's how we're going to ruin that story. I want us to change it around a little bit. I'm going to have you switch from, I think I can, I think I can, to, I think it's bad, I think it's bad, I think it's bad, okay? And I need you to do this really enthusiastically because as you keep that chant going, you have to coordinate with each other so it sounds like a train, right? And you can do it really loud. While you're doing that, I'm going to say a lot of negative statements like on a negativity train so that it makes us feel all better together, all right? So here we go. Ready? I think it's bad. I think it's bad. I think it's bad. I don't have what it takes. My life stinks. Things are bad and getting worse. The economy is doomed. The stocks are crashing. Schools are horrible. Kids are a mess. You know what? My food is genetically modified. They're putting poisons on it. I'm going to get sick. We're all going to die. All right. Don't you feel so much better? I think it's bad. Have you ever been there where the negativity train just sort of catches you up and you're like caught up in the negativity? It's like, it doesn't make you feel better. It really doesn't. You know why? Because human beings are souls and thoughts are food for your soul. And when you take in these thoughts as food for your soul, you're damaging yourself with these negative thoughts just taking you down. You know what that negative stuff is? It's buzzard food. Here's a picture just to kind of help you get a hold of this. Are you a buzzard or a hummingbird? Okay, buzzards, they soar around looking for death to eat right? They eat off of dead stuff. Hummingbirds, they soar around looking for beauty. And they're going to feast on beauty. And which one is better for you? You can just take a look. It's obvious that the feasting on beauty makes you beautiful. Feasting on death makes you look like a buzzard. And so it's like, that's kind of a, just a good visual. We got to choose what we feed our souls. Proverbs eleven twenty seven reads this way. If you search for good, you will find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. Here are three statements. Negativity, let's put it on the screen for us, is contagious and destructive. Realism 
is nothing but an interpreted description. Now, the real question here, when you start talking about interpreted description, is who is interpreting reality for you? Optimism goes a long way toward opening future possibilities. Now, I've heard some people say, optimism opens all of the future doors. I don't think that's correct. Optimism goes a long ways, but you need optimism built on God and truth to open all the doors for the future. Realism is nothing but an interpreted description. Have you ever seen this emblem? Maybe you saw it on a t-shirt. Maybe you saw the, all the different variations of life is good. Do you know the story behind this? This is now a $100 million business started by two brothers and these two brothers had a very hard life growing up Uh, one of the brothers wrote a book about it called life is good i believe and he tells a story of how hard his life was and how he had a wonderful mother and this mother asked them at dinner every night tell me something good that happened today tell me something good that happened today so she had this built-in idea that life is good even though all of their lives were very very tough Scientists now tell us that if you would enter into a habit of forcing yourself to think about something you're thankful for, maybe one, two, or three things that you're thankful for each day, jot it down, and you did that for a month, even if you stopped doing it, six months later, you're happier than when, before you started. And it has nothing to do with whether you're a believer in God or not. Just when you train yourself to focus on the positive and to be grateful and thankful, it changes your life so that you are happier Who is it that determines for you whether life is good or not? Every single one of us, whether you know it or not, is a theologian. We are constantly evaluating and interpreting life. And sometimes we're poor theologians and we let what others say dictate to us what our interpretation is. Why is it that you feel what you feel in this negative mode? Who is saying to you that life is not good? Before I move on, I want to take a very practical step and it'll really be for your happiness if you will engage with me on this. Grab something to write down. Something good that you can hang on to that happened in just the last few days. Force yourself to think about something good that is good in your life, even if you're just overloaded with negativity and overloaded with troubles and stresses. Force yourself to think about something good in the last few days. Jot it down. It'll make a difference for you. Because we're talking about being thankful. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I'm optimistic not based on what I see, but it's based on what God says. Here's where I tripped up this last week. Something was taking place. My interpretation of life and what's going on in my life right now became very, very complicated and difficult and wasn't optimistic. And I was spiraling in this fall of feelings, dictating whether I'm going to be happy or optimistic based on feelings, based on interpretation, based on this is what I have to do and ah, and just spiraling down. And normally I'm optimistic, 
my optimism is based on what God says, not what I see in the news, what I feel based on what's happening, what I interpret based on what the economist says or the politician or some teacher. How do I get to the place where it's based on what God says? How many of you have ever hiked on such a hard hike that it was really, really hard and you're just trudging. Ever been there? All right, here's my question for you if you've ever been there. What were you focused on while you were trudging? Okay, if you're like me, you know exactly where your eyes were. You're doing this. Okay, so human beings, when they drift... They always drift downward into negativity. Human beings do not drift upward. <laughs> they just don't. And when we're on this journey, and we're really feeling it, and it's a hard journey, it'd really be smart if we stopped, paused, lifted our eyes up, and took a view of the grander view. And that is going to help us because it's perspective about where we're going. And that's the thing. My optimism is based on what God says about where I'm going rather than <sighs> focused on what I'm going through in the moment without lifting my eyes on the grander view. There's a way of getting God's perspective into you. All right, eight from eight is normally what? Good math students. Eight from eight is normally zero. We're not going to talk about eight from eight is normally zero. What we're going to talk about today is eight from eight is why I'm optimistic. So you might jot that down in your outline. We're going to take eight statements, what God says, out of Romans 8, and we're going to just see those statements, and it's going to lift our optimism, lift our view from the drudgery and the the thing where it's like, oh, so hard, pause and look up and be just filled with more optimism. Here's where we begin, write it down, point number one, I'm free, I'm free. Romans 8 begins this way, verse 1 and 2, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, I have to talk really fast because we're going to go through eight points, but you need to know how hard I've worked at this because when I went through Romans 8, I had 32 points, all right? <laughs> so we're, we're condensing it down to eight points. I give you a challenge. I want you, if you want this challenge, you really seriously want to go to, it just lifted me. It helped me. Go to Romans 8 and try to find whatever points you see. See how many you find. And I didn't go uh, through those. There's lists. So, okay, this one is one. This one is the one. This one is one. I just, even then I came up with 32. Just, just try it. It'd be a great encouragement. I want to talk this one through a little bit though. It follows huge amounts of theology in Romans. And then it goes, therefore, based on that theology, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. What that means is we can't be condemned. Of what? We can't be condemned for our sin's guilt because we're forgiven. That's one way of looking at it, and it's already proved in the theology beforehand. But it's already proved in the theology beforehand. Also, we can't be condemned to sin's power. 
So not only are we not guilty because we're forgiven, we don't, we're not condemned by our past failures because we've been forgiven, we've been set free from the power of sin that grips us. There's a greater power now that we hang on to that helps us break those patterns. Now, notice that who this is for. It's for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not for everybody. It's for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll simplify, and then I'm going to make it hard, okay? Hard as in my mind is having a hard time grasping a hold of the depths of this, but here's simply put. When I enter into covenant with God through Jesus Christ, it's like entering into marriage. The two become one. And entering into marriage where the two become one, I'm now in Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus is now in me. So we're entering into covenant. That's simply put. Now let's go a little deeper. Jesus prayed that the glory that the Father gave him, that the way that he is one with the Father and the Father is one with him, that we would be one with Jesus. And that the glory that the Father gave him, he has given us. That he, when he gave us his spirit, now we're one with Jesus, the way Jesus is one with the Father, and we can be one with each other because the spirit has been given to us. Now, whoa, slow this down. This is huge. I can reign with Christ in a realm I can't even see as he's seated at the right hand of God, Ephesians says. I'm seated with him in a realm I can't even see at the right hand of God, reigning in the authority and in the power of the Spirit because I'm in Christ. I am no longer in a place of condemnation. I'm in a place of kingdom, power, and glory. Whoa! Because the Spirit has set me free. I think I have reason to be optimistic, don't you? Point number two, Jesus is praying for me. We get this out of Romans 8.34 where we read, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God. I just talked about that. All right, how many of you believe prayer is powerful? Okay, yay. How many of you believe that if you are a righteous person, your prayer is even more powerful and more effective? That's what James says, so you should believe it. Okay, go ahead and raise your hands. All right, good. Right answer, good. So if you're righteous before God and walking with God in that union, your prayers are even more powerful as you're reigning with Christ, seated with him at the heavenly realms. That's even more powerful. Now hold, hold the boat, <laughs> phone, whatever metaphor you want. Hold on to this because Jesus is at the right hand of God in the highest position who was the most righteous. The ruler over all is what? He's interceding for us. If prayer is powerful, the most righteous prayer is powerful, and Jesus is the most righteous and the Son of God praying for us, I have reason to believe we can be optimistic. Yoo-hoo! Point number three. My future victory is greater. My future victory is greater. Let's see what it's greater than. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, my future victory is greater than my current pain. My future victory is greater than whatever I'm going through right now. In fact, it's so much greater that it's like, Paul would say, what are you worried about? That's small stuff. And you go, what? You don't know what I'm going through. I'm going, no, 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 no. And he says, small stuff. In fact, he'd say, everything is small stuff compared to the glory that we're going to receive. And he's saying this out of a context where people are being rejected by family members, 
some of them being persecuted even to the point of death. He says, that's small stuff in comparison. There's not even no comparison with the glory, with where he's taking us. Stop focusing here. That's small stuff. Look over where we're going. Whoa. That's what he's talking about. Our future victory is greater. Point number four, I have peace. Romans 8, 6 says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. (laughs) All right, so life and peace. I get that. I have peace. I have life. Great. What is this bit about the mind governed by the flesh and the mind governed by the spirit? When you receive the spirit of God, the spirit enables you to read the words of God and the thoughts of God can now be grasped. Grasped to the degree that the way God thinks about things starts to become the way you think about things. And the spirit of God helps you. And then the way you think about things begins to govern how you feel. And now the spirit is interpreting life and you come out with, you know, life is beautiful. Life is good. And the same person next to you is going, what are you talking about? Life is ugly. Life is gross. Look at what just happened. I can't believe God allowed that. And you're going, what? God is working out this magnificent plan. There's like two opposite viewpoints, but the Spirit is helping you see it from God's perspective and what he's doing. My challenge is to help you see that just a little bit today also. Point number five. God is for me. God is for me. In verses 31 through 33, 8, Romans 8, 31 through 33, what then shall we say in response to these great things? These things. If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay, here's the simple truth. If you're in union with Christ, you're in union with God. Me and God, we're a majority. If the rest of the world is against me, we win. We just, God, go get them. You know? It's like, if God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you see the logic here? He's saying, okay, do you see that if I did not withhold my most loved, most precious, unique son of God, and I let him go through the suffering that he went through for you, if I gave the very best, very most, very blessed, For you, how dare you think you don't have what you need right now? Because I will not withhold anything you need. Everything you need, I won't withhold it. I already gave you my son. I'm going to give you everything you need. Walk with me. I will graciously, he graciously gives us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies The sixth reason to be optimistic is this. God helps me in my weakness. God helps me in my weakness. Out of Romans 8, 24 through 26, for in this hope we were saved. Now, I'm tempted to keep reading, but I want to slow it down because that sentence is wild. We think of hope as hope like we wish for something in the future. I hope that Christmas this year is good. I hope this this will be nice. I hope that this will happen. We think of it as a future thing. Take a look at the past tense in this sentence. For in this hope, we were, past tense, 
saved. So the way the Bible talks about hope is as something solid that does something to us right now or has done something to us or continues to do something to us because it is solid. It's not like, I wish. No, it's solid. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Although it's solid, it's not something that you see it. It's still in a realm we don't see. We believe it because God said it. Who hopes for what they already have? Okay? So we're trudging along, and there's the hope. It's real, it's solid, it's gonna happen, and it saves us. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I'm not a finished product yet. But that hope is saving me. It's saving me from just this downward drift into failure and negativity. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So what does that mean? So this Spirit helps us to lift our eyes, interpret the truth, see what God says, and have His words become our thoughts, His perspective become our perspective. And He helps us in our weaknesses. So how does this work? I feel all alone. I'm all alone. The Spirit says, you are not. You will never be alone. Jesus said He will always be with you. You're not alone right now. Oh, I feel better. Okay. The Spirit brings that into reality now. That's the hope. The Spirit says when you fall flat, boom, trip, oh, I just blew it. Everybody looks at me and thinks I'm really stupid. I feel so much shame. There is no condemnation for you. That has been taken away. You are forgiven. There's, the shame has been absorbed into the cross. Get up. Look where we're going. You are a glorious being. Look who you're becoming. Okay, he helps us in our weaknesses. And there's so many others we could just keep going on. The Spirit is helping us in our weakness. Point number seven, he repurposes everything for my good. Let's slow that down. He repurposes everything for my good, okay? Here's what Romans 8, 28 says. And we know that in all things, whether it's good or bad, in all things, Really, really horrible things that happened to you that God wouldn't have brought upon you, but they came to you. Bad things. God works for the good. He repurposes it of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now, just to get at this a little bit, the Bible is filled with illustration after illustration, but let me just tell the story of the Bible really quickly. In the beginning of Genesis, the first human pair, Satan comes at them, it's his intention to cause, cause them to fail in the same way he did. So, no, no, God didn't say this. You do this. You choose good and evil. You'll become like God. Become, you know, you choose. Don't let him choose. And they fail. He intended it for evil and becomes their evil ruler. But God repurposes that for the entire world after that to bring redemption. He covers over that with forgiveness and he's repurposed even that evil that we see signs of all the time and he's working it out to bring him glory. He's like this master chess player. You make this big move and you think, check. And he's not only out of check, but put you in check. And he's gonna win the game because he's outmaneuvering every maneuver of the enemy. Even by the end of Genesis, you have the most dysfunctional family you've ever read about in Genesis, okay? You've got the, the family that he makes the nation of Israel out of, and they are at each other's throats, and all the brothers want to kill this favorite brother named Joseph, and one guy stands up, no, no, let's not kill him, let's just sell him off to be a slave, we'll just tell dad that he's dead, and they do. They sell him off in slavery in Egypt. And then, 
horrible story. He goes through decades of pain and horror. And yet he, by God's grace, he's elevated to the second in command in the most powerful nation on the world. And he knows why he's elevated to that position and he literally saves his dysfunctional family during famine. And his dysfunctional family all of a sudden recognizes who he is and they just cower thinking, oh no, he's going to kill us now. Look what we did to him and oh no, we're doomed. And he says, no, <coughs> no. What you intended as evil toward me, God intended for your good. That's how Genesis ends. So what evil is intended to destroy, God repurposes it. I keep saying that wrong. <laughs> Repurpose. What's in this stuff? Okay. Re <laughs> repurposes it for good. All right. So then that's just Genesis. If we get to the middle, hold on. If we get to the middle of the Bible, after all this happens over and over and over again, we get to the middle of the Bible and Satan is got all this prophecy against him where Jesus is the prophesied one who's going to destroy his kingdom where he's ruling the evil world and Jesus is going to destroy it and so Satan incites the people Jesus comes to save to say no, he's not the Messiah, it's obviously wrong you need to obliterate that evil and the whole crowd starts shouting crucify him, crucify him and they say why, is he, what has he done he says we know he's guilty let his blood be upon us and our children, we will take the guilt you just crucify him, crucify I am Satan is going, yes. What he intends for evil, though, God uses like spiritual nuclear bomb. Ba boom. All of evil is wiped out by the glorious repurposing of the cross that Satan thought he wins. Jesus absorbs all of the evil into himself and conquers it and rises from the dead. And Satan goes, oh, crud. Right? This is the repurposing of evil so that God wins by grace and by love. Without raising arms and power, he's changing a kingdom to overtake the world to follow God away from evil. And I read the end of the book. We win! He takes all of this junk and we look at the junk and we get stuck here. Instead, we look at what God has done in his story and it's sure, it's hope, it's truth and it saves us. We win. Point number eight. Nothing can pull me away. We read in Romans 8, 38 through 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. When I entered into covenant with Jesus Christ, I began to orbit around him as the center of my life. I kicked out the idea that myself is where I'm centered. I'm no longer self-centered. I'm Jesus-centered. I'm being orbited around and I'm drawing nearer and nearer and his power is drawing me close and he says, nothing can take you out of orbit. Nothing can pull you away. Just keep your eyes on me. That's a glorious truth. Nothing can pull you away. Here's how we're gonna finish today. Would you read this prayer silently? 
so that if you would like, we can declare these truths in a prayer together. Let's stand together. I have no idea where you're coming from today, whether you're distant from God and just checking God out, you're not sure what you believe or not. You know, if you're willing to pray this prayer, it's sort of like an experiment in reality. Is Jesus going to deliver when I see, ask him to bring good? He's going to give me good, he says. Will he? You can test to see if he brings good to your life as you focus on the good that he brings. So I encourage everybody, if you will, if you're uncomfortable with that, wait till you're comfortable praying with us and looking to Jesus. Here we go. Dear God, life is good because you are good. I'm grateful to receive your goodness right here, right now, not because I am good, but because you offer your goodness to me as a gift. Thank you for giving me life through your son, Jesus. Thank you for capturing my heart with your goodness. I want to experience more of your goodness. I choose to put my hope in you. I choose goodness, gratitude, and generosity because you have given me all these things. I give myself to you in Jesus' name and for his honor. Yours truly, amen. Amen? All right. The reality is I know that some of you are carrying a burden. It's hard for you to hear a message about optimism. Some of you are so hurting, it's hard for you to hear anything positive still. If that's you, we have a prayer team for you. Don't carry that burden alone. Don't do life alone. Have somebody pray with you. You're going to get help that you can't see coming in your direction. I encourage you to do that. Next week is the second installment of Be Thankful. I can't wait, and I hope that you will be here next week. God bless you. Enjoy your week.